we did this, you were like, I gotta listen to topics, and then we just immediately. Yeah, I don't think we touched on any of the topics. (laughs) No. But, um. So let's refer back to the list. The list of topics. Well, I do have one thing. Uh, I guess I was thinking about as I was actually driving in this morning. Um, you know, tank. Both my car tank and my personal tank around empty. Mm. Tired, feeling run down, just kind of like, you know, and I'm at the gas station getting coffee for everybody. And, you know, the lady's like, oh, man. I'm like, yeah, you know, I got a, a team meeting this morning. She's like, why would you do that <laughs> on a Sunday morning? And I was like, you know, that's a great question. And I'm like, I think it's just because it's the only time we're kind of all available. Yeah. And, you know, I think most of us, most of us live the lifestyle where, you know, we're up early anyway. And I, I don't know. Uh, and if you guys are all like, this guy's an asshole. Every time he says we're meeting at 7.15 on a Sunday morning. I'm already up. Yeah. Um, so then uh, I was started thinking like how important is it to like believe in what you're doing you know like my, my old man i'll just say you know in life you have to figure out one of two things in terms of what you're doing for a career right you either do what you love or love what you do right the first is if we're lucky enough to figure it out and you know we make a living doing fitness or whatever it is we want. the second one is hey this is your lot in life you better figure out a way you know to, mm-hmm. to love it and I know me personally, I went through a situation where I was in position to take over a family business, but it was not what I love. And as hard as I tried to fall in love with that, couldn't do it. You know, that was so, the, the grocery. Uh, no, this, this was commercial real estate, but oh, it was, okay. it was derivative of, of the, the supermarkets. Yeah. Um, but so then it was like, how much do we, you know, how much do you really believe in what you're doing and how important is that? Um, and there's a number of different aspects of it when it comes down to, to what we do here in this space or in the fitness industry. But, you know, is it, is this the kind of space or, or any job for that matter, but mostly touching on this, is this a situation where can you fake it, you know, till you make it type of deal? Or is it, is it, is it imperative that you sincerely, you know, believe in what you're doing? Um, Cause I think there's a lot of posers in this industry. Um, mm-hmm. I think we've all seen them firsthand. Um, there's lots of people that like the idea of doing what we do, but when it comes down to it, you know, I don't know. And, but you know, and there are people that are posers and they manipulate situations and they manipulate the system in terms of social media, um, in terms of their body image to portray like, Hey, you can look like me type of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so anyway, yeah, that's, that's where my mind was this morning as I was driving in, listening to the, to the saints are coming by you two and green day. <laughs> um, it was just like, how important is it that you really believe in what you do? I think it's easy to tell, um, when somebody's coaching, maybe not in the first session, but when you get a month into it how passionate they truly are about it, mm-hmm. you can tell because the first few, you can ramp it up and sure, especially yeah. like with myself starting to do more one-on-ones and stuff um you can just start to tell if somebody like truly cares and then also with that comes like and not to get off topic which i guess it's related but like how passionate the client is too yeah who are you working with like that plays a big role of like your excitement to come in there to work with them is like i have people who actually want to get better and work on their health and fitness and that's like so rewarding to have those people come in and they're like, Hey, I did this and I'm feeling better. And then it energizes me to work with them. Mm -hmm. But I definitely think, yeah, in the first bit you can fake it. And then people start to feel if you're not really wanting to be there. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, which which is a major factor. And they paid off that. But Mm -hmm. could you argue that the second scenario, when you have someone who's not super motivated, is that part of your job, though, Mm -hmm. to motivate them? It's a it's a great question. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I I mean, I I I think I have an opinion on it. Um, but what do you, I mean? What do you guys think? <clears throat> I mean, I, I think kind of echoing what you guys are saying. Um, I think you could fake it for the first couple sessions or weeks or whatever, but it you can't you can't live that life for very long. Like mm-hmm. waking up at five fifteen in the yeah, morning. No, like, you you find out real quick. Yeah, like you you have to be. In love with it. Waking up at 4.15 you know I mean? to be and, here. Right, <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. 4.15, more like 3.50. Mm-hmm. But um, no, I think that that shows, I mean, you obviously have to show up and, uh, I don't want to say perform, but give it your best. But if you're not in love with that, that's going to that's gonna show real real quick. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so I would have to say, I, in this scenario, I kind of do feel that way, especially when you're like, it's not just like a, I don't want to put any profession down, but you know, it's like if you're just going in, clocking in, whatever, just working by yourself. But when you're working with other people, like you really need to be a motivator, a teacher, you need to inspire them. Like you can't just, Oh, it's an clock, art. Yeah. You totally. Can't, yeah. You can't just clock in and just not care. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think it's possible or maybe it is possible, but it would show very quickly and easily. Yeah, certainly. Uh, you know, I, I guess I used to be an advocate of like, hey, fake it, team, make it right. Just uh-huh. put on the front and eventually. But I, as I've evolved in this industry and doing this now for a very long time, I, 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 I guess I think that's bullshit. Um, I think either, you know, you sincerely are passionate about what you're doing or you're not. And no, no shame in the game if you're not. But to your point, like, you know, you get up at 415, you know, hey, one day you can do it. But then if you're doing it multiple days in a row, you really find out if you're passionate about helping people. Going back to Lindsay's point about um, this idea, like, is is it our responsibility to motivate people? And I'm like, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I, my personal opinion is no, it's not right. Like, we can be maybe an inspiration for somebody. How we live our lives, at least my mindset has always been how we live our lives. You know, what we do inside these walls, our demeanor, um, our image, all of those things could be ways in which you know we we inspire people. But it goes back to that old, you know, the Jocko Willing thing, like discipline. If, you, if you're relying on motivation to do something, um, then odds are you're not going to be successful with in the long term, right? So you have to be disciplined enough to do it even when you're not motivated. Now, that takes you down an entirely different rabbit hole of this <clears throat> idea of training and deficits and being, you know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the other thing, too, we talked and you were talking about your personal training, Max, is this idea of, of you know, valuing what you do. Mm-hmm. I think that's important in terms of getting people and clients, you know. Uh, I think all of us at some point or another have suffered from, hey, we'll just do it out of the goodness of our heart. We're just here to help people. And, you know, next thing you know, uh, you know, you're coming in on a Sunday morning to help somebody and you're not getting compensated at all. And you're taking yourself away from family and, you know, your time and and all those types of things. So, you know, I I know me personally, as again, as I've evolved in this industry where it was a lot of like, hey, yeah, dude, I'll just do it. You know, I'm just here to help. And then, you know, that person doesn't really value it because they're not investing in it um and then they cancel on you mm-hmm. or then they don't show or they don't follow through and you're like whoa 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 so i think like when you set price points i think holding those price points you know so you create you know not just value in your service but value and and those people you know if you if you're charging 100 bucks an hour for personal training and somebody's willing to pay that 
usually those people are pretty invested, right? Because right? yeah. yeah. they see the value in it versus if, you know, you're mm-hmm. just like, hey, I'll just come in and train, you know, or whatever right. the case may be. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of, but I, I don't, I don't know if it's, I don't know. I mean, what, I'd be curious because you brought up the question. So I'm curious, to, you know, what do you think? No, I, I, I think that we have a duty kind of like you said to, to try to lead by example and I'm all for that. But I think at the end of the day, unless someone has decided like, this is the direction I want my life to go. You can't, you can't force people to do that. Mm -hmm. It's just like when I was teaching, like some, I mean, you can't force a kid to learn something. You really can't. Yeah. So I, I think it's kind of the same idea as that. Unless, unless someone's decided that they're ready to kind of take that next step, you can't force anyone sure. to be ready yeah. for that. Yeah. So. yeah, I think it's like a time and a place of like, yeah, there are certain days where your job is to motivate with somebody's dragging and it's, mm-hmm. you've been doing this for six months and they come in a day and it's just kind of like, oh man. And it's like, all right, yeah, I'm going to help motivate you, get it done. But if it's an every single day thing, yeah. then yeah. it's like, all right, yeah, what, what, what possible, are we doing? Right. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. um, then it just it becomes draining on the coach to every single day. All right, I have to be the one to not only do the programming, put you through the workout, but then also have like my mindset trying to pour into you every single time we do it, even though you don't want to do it. That mm-hmm. gets draining if you're doing mm-hmm. that every single time somebody comes in. Well, and I don't know if you guys have ever been in a scenario, but it's like you give this great inspirational speech or you, and then they just go out and tank anyway. <laughs> you know, or they have a terrible workout or whatever the case may be. Um, but yeah, too, I think a lot of it, uh, I don't know why my mind went in this direction, but the idea of like minimum effective dose, you know, a lot of times, you know, when we're trying to inspire or motivate, you know, mm-hmm. that this, again, the idea, and I think we've talked about this, but the idea that just, you got to do more and you got to go harder. And, mm-hmm. um, I was listening to uh, some exercise physiologists talk about uh, Rich Froning and his success in the sport. Um, and this guy was, was not affiliated with CrossFit, had nothing to do with CrossFit. Um, uh, speaking of CrossFit, have you guys seen that they are just like, so there's a guy whose dad used to own a CrossFit gym or does own a CrossFit gym and he's starting for the Bears today. Really? Oh. Yeah, quarterback starting for the Bears, Division Two or Division Three quarterback. What? Somehow he started, but CrossFit is rolling with it that this guy does CrossFit. Now he's going to start. Well, okay. but anyway, um, <laughs> but you know this idea of just kind of uh, the exercise physiologist was talking about you know watching Froning over the years, and he's like Froning is successful, and again we're beating a dead horse, but Froning is successful because ninety five percent of his workouts are at moderate intensity, right, mm-hmm. for a long duration of time, and that compounding interest of training over time is what has made him successful. It's funny you talk uh, about that. And sustainable. So, yeah. I think of Rick at like last week. Rick Stevenson. Yeah. Yes. So second, I'm thinking second of Rick. 50 plus year old in the world. Yeah. And every time I'm, I'm watching him work out and I'm like, Rick is using moderate weight. Every time you look at him, he looks like he's just cruising at like a nice steady pace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I was talking to him and I was like, why do you think your body is holding up so well for that yeah, age. That great question. At. And he is like, I think it's consistency. Um, so I think that's a main thing. It's just, he's so consistent that his body's used to it. And he's like, everybody has their aches and pains. But I think part of it too, is he knows his boundaries of like, why am I going to try and do an absurd amount of weight with something risk hurting myself when I can. And there's a time and a place 
to do heavyweight and all that stuff. But I think mm-hmm. he does a really good job of knowing his body, staying in his lane, and just making sure he can come back the next day and do it again and again. Yes, yeah, certainly. And I, I think part of it, too, comes down to training, like how you're training. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, there. if you're just a strength power athlete, um, you know, I think that you can get away with a higher intensity model. But that's all based off of, you know, a high, not high glycolytic demand, high um, ATP demand, right? So, you know, it's a high output for a very, very, very short time. Mm -hmm. And there's lots of recovery um, versus doing a Metcon, right? Where it's moderate to high intensity for most. And most of it's because for, for two reasons. Number one, people don't know how to express intensity, right? Physiologically. And so they just go at a hundred miles an hour and run it. It's like, it's literally the same as just running headfirst into the wall. I mean, that's what <laughs> it is, right? Because they don't know any other, right. Any other way, right. Because of us and not us in this room, but us as leaders in the CrossFit space, well, we were told one thing. So this is the definition. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to blindly say, this is how you do it. Instead of having appreciation for, for the, the, uh, impact of of that um so the ability to be able to express intensity right so you have to have a certain fitness level in order to work at intensity um uh so the ability to express it and the other thing is you know having the fitness label level to express intensity to have some type of impact so there's there's a lot of factors that go into it and it's a very very complex topic when you talk about it but yeah for most of the general population and what what rich is doing um, he trains a lot, but again, I think all of that work is at a moderate, you know, especially based now to us, it might be like the most intense thing in the history of the world, Yeah, but he's, mm-hmm. but it's all based off of, you know, his yeah. level of fitness. I think that's the other thing. And that's why I've become more of a fan of an individualized approach is because it is greatly, you know, it greatly varies on the person. Mm-hmm. And not just the person's fitness level, but where the person's at that day. Hey, did you have a rough night of sleep last night? Hey, do you have a lot of stress at home? Hey, work sucks. Hey, you know, uh, did you have a a drink last night? Like those are all going to affect your ability to express intensity or, you know, to, to train. So Mm -hmm. it's like to, to, again, just to blanketly kind of throw something at everybody, um, is, is not really fair to, to the athlete. And, and people know, and I, again, I'm beating a dead horse, but we've all experienced the CrossFit burnout, um, you know, the chronic overtraining, or I guess it's called overreaching now. Back in my day, it was called overtraining. But um, yeah, so I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. But <laughs> well, I, <clears throat> to add something to it, I think, you know, well, let me ask you, like, has Rick, I know he broke that bone in his foot, but aside from that, like, has he ever had like a tear or any any significant no, injury from training? No, and that was, you know, a random stepping off of a, I know, yeah. a, a porch step. Yeah, he just got done doing, like, the CrossFit Games. Yep, he was at home yep, and stepped yep, off the yep, porch. Made the it bro- through the CrossFit Games, and then three days later <laughs> stepped off of a step and broke his foot. Well, where I'm going with that is, um, you know, anybody that wins CrossFit Games, a championship, NFL, anything, you can't say, say the Cleveland Browns win the Super Bowl, but say whoever, Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrows, and whoever the Steelers quarterback is going to be, because that kid ain't going to make it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But say, you know, whoever's hurt and that team has a down year and then the Browns win the Super Bowl. It's like, of course, there'll be that friendly rivalry of uh, back and forth. Well, you won it because our guy was hurt, but you can't take that championship away from somebody. Like they were healthy enough that whole season to go the whole distance and win at the end. 
And I think something there's something to be said about for how successful Rick is with that, with his training. I mean, you when you have setbacks and injuries, it's the name of the game. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. You know, so for somebody to come in and train smart and how you're saying on an individual uh, basis, I think is extremely responsible. And I think it's probably the change that the sport has needed for a while. Um, it's certainly evolved. Yeah. Certainly evolved. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it's all very interesting. <laughs> what do you think I don't about? know. I, I, I mean, I, I feel like I'm kind of a master at this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I, I have always had a good kind of, I guess, intuition with my body as far as like when I can push when I can't. And I think in general in the sport, I've been relatively smart. Mm-hmm. Like as I'm starting to kind of like try and come back and build, it's it's funny, like just looking strength wise, I'm like nowhere close. Mm-hmm. But when I do workouts, I'm like, okay, it's still there. Like I still can do it. But I think it's because of that. Like I have always kind of kind of like flaw wise like i don't ever really completely redline mm-hmm. you know what i mean like yeah. i've always just been able to like maintain mm-hmm. and yeah. that's like i don't know yeah i mean and there's plenty of of uh, literature to support that right mm-hmm. like you should redline once a month yeah like, like there you, was one or night or competition and it mm-hmm. will it will be like randomly like yeah. there was one night do you remember when you came in and it was like when I was coming back, but then I didn't actually come back. <laughs> but uh, I was, it was like a row piece, a row and push up piece. I do. Yeah. And I was in here and I was like, oh, I still got this. Tom was just standing over my rower, counting, like marking down all my times, like making yeah. sure. And yeah. I'm like, I got this. I got this. But I redlined. Like <laughs> after that, after that row and push up workout, I like went outside. I'm like, Oh my God, like maybe I don't have, to. <laughs> but like, you know what I mean? Like whenever I do that, it's always, it sticks out in my brain because it's not all the time. Right. Sure. You know what I mean? When I sure. have workouts like that, when you do it. Yeah. I remember when I do it because it's not all the time. I'm very like, yeah, even keeled for sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I do get a look on my face when I start to like you do. cross over that threshold what but for the most part, I stay. What kind of look do you get on your face? I I, I don't know because I can't Lindsay's, see my face. Uh, Lindsay's head always kind of turns to the yeah. side. That was that's a first indication. Yeah. As soon as her head goes from here and her head turns sideways, it's, it's like, like you know it's, she's it's going downhill. Yeah. <laughs> it's coming. Yeah. Oh my gosh. No, I, I mean I get that. I've always uh, whether it's unscientific, but uh, I've just always think of percentage wise when i'm training sure you know sure. Like, there's a reason why yeah. right like when i'm in 70 and 80 percent i'm like okay like the risk to injury uh risk to reward uh ratio is much different than when i'm training 90 plus percent yeah. you know yeah and, and it's again it's it's not and people need to understand it's the compounding interest of the work right it's not that particular day it's the impact it's going to have on you the next day, the next day, and the next day. And not just from a muscular perspective, from a hormonal perspective, from um, from a nervous system perspective. Like, all of those things that really make training valuable, um, you know, that's, that's, and that's what we're trying to elicit. We're trying to elicit a strong response from all those systems. The problem is, is that the more we try and elicit that response from the system, the response gets diminished. 
Mm-hmm. Right, it's diminished return with that. So that's that's why you only go ninety percent once a month, mm-hmm. right? If yeah. you if you read the bi- or the weightlifting literature, right, yeah. never go over ninety percent. Maybe once every four to six weeks. Now, if you talk about West Side and Conjugate, they believe a little bit more of a Bulgarian method, right? That's why it would have been great to talk mm-hmm. um, with Max uh, because he trained with the Bulgarians, right. and, you know that system where the idea is like, hey, maybe we can manipulate the nervous system. And we can go max effort. We just change, you know, whatever the, the the demand is, just a little bit, you know. Yeah. Um. And that's that's where conjugate has taken a lot of that that methodology, right? It's like we never train the actual movement. We only do it in competition, and but then we train variations of all this movement to keep the central nervous system primed and keep responding. But even they understand and appreciate at West Side and conjugate is that we can only really max effort. We can go balls to the wall just once a week. Yep. Once a week, you know, and then, then you get into the science of it where you're trying to manipulate the force velocity curves and, you know, um, and those type of variables that come along with training if you go down that rabbit hole. But yeah, so it's, it's all. And again, I, you know, I just, I really believe it's the idea for general population is this idea of, and even, even from an athletic base, when you talk about competitive CrossFit, the idea is that intensity has to be relative to that individual at that particular time. Right. Like where are they at that day? Right. And there's, I mean, that's kind of the whole premise behind whoop and, um, with the aura ring and, and those things. It's like, these are all metrics that are telling you what your body is going through at that particular moment in time. Mm-hmm. Um, now talking about the accuracy of those things, it's kind of up in the air. There's, you know, it depends on what you read, but like, that's, that's the value in all those things. There's, if you, if you watch, um, who was it? Messi. Somebody was asking, you know, in one of his pictures, why is he always wearing a sports bra? Right. They show him when he's doing all this thing. It's not a sports bra. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's not a chest strap. It's actually, I forget what it's called, but it's like a, it looks like a sports bra, but it's, it's a biometric tracker. So it's, it's tracking his intensity as he's actually training and doing his work. And it will tell him, I mean, the science is astonishing. It'll tell him in real time, like, you're at your threshold workouts done. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I'm coming in and training for an hour. It's going to train until your body is like, we're done. Um, I know for collegiate volleyball and professional volleyball, like they track, they wear, they have wearables that track the number of jumps they do and the power output of the jump. Oh. So they will track them during practice. Like, Hey, the power output on this jump was around 70%. The power output was 90%. If you do a certain number or number, number of jumps after over a certain threshold, over a certain percentage, you're done for the day. Wow. So because in a volleyball game, you do 300, at least 300 jumps, depending on position in the game. And most of those jumps are at 80% or higher of output, right? So you're doing 300 max effort awesome. jumps. This in is the crazy. Course. I never knew this about volleyball. Isn't it wild? wild? Yeah. Super so you're doing, you're doing close to 300, close to max effort plyometric jumps, right? And some of it's within the course of... 30 seconds or 45 seconds, you're doing mm-hmm. 10 jumps. You know, you're doing a lateral bound into a jump, a lateral bound back into a yeah. jump, a back step, and then a forward step into a jump. So it's like, you know, if we don't manage our athletes, and it's it, it, then, you know, now you're talking shin splints and you're talking stress fractures and, you know, all of those things. You're talking ankles get fatigued and that's when you roll an ankle, all of those kind of things. So, you know, what I would preach is that we bring kind of that mentality in towards with our training with general population and elite level fitness athletes so we can make sure that they make sustainable progress. I was having this conversation with an athlete, a compete athlete of ours that we work with, and 
you know, we talked about the idea that people are at the CrossFit Games this year started 10, 12 years ago. Totally. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And they, for whatever reason, have been able to train consistently and sustainably over the course of 12 straight years in order to, to get to the fitness level. Mm-hmm. Right? I think one of the biggest issues that happens with people in CrossFit is they come in, they're like, oh, I love it. This is great. The intensity, I'm sweating. My heart's pounding. Everybody's high five is sweet. Oh, I'm just going to kick my ass for six months and I'm there, man. I'm there. I can already walk up my hands. I'm going to the game, you know? Mm-hmm. And again, the reality is the person who can sustain output the longest yeah, nice and steady. Is, is always in the long term going to win. And you will have a response, especially if you're untrained um, in a very short amount of time, right? But once the body adapts to that training, you know, then that progress will get slower and slower and slower and ultimately will stagnate and start going in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, the volleyball stuff, it's wild. I mean, it is wild. yeah, it's, it's like, like micro dosing, right. For, uh, not that kind of micro dosing. <laughs> like, uh, is it like micro dosing? But like, so in the world of say the NBA now, strength coaches do what they call micro dosing for their athletes. And you start to see it trickle down a little bit. And the idea is that Instead of hitting them with one 90-minute session of training, they sprinkle in sessions throughout the day. Mm -hmm. And they do it on game day, which is like the old school mentality was we never want to lift on game day because this, this, and this. What they're finding is their rest days are now their rest days. So instead of adding another stressor on a day off, let's put all of our stressors into one day. Right. So that's from a systemic perspective. But what they've also found is that if we do the right kind of strength training on game day, it can actually enhance performance. Right. So they'll come in on a game day. NBA players will come in on a game day and they'll have a 20 minute lift in the morning, a 20 minute lift right before a game. And then after a game, another 20 minute lift. And then that's all their strength conditioning work for the day. And it's been very, very, very effective. So, yeah, it's just very interesting to see how it's all evolved and how in-depth you can really get with it. It's not just burpees and shuttle runs. It's not just benching and cleans. I mean, it's, you know, I think all of us as strength coaches have to work hard to look at it from a much broader perspective than just, hey, this is the Metcon for the day. For the day, yeah. And and that's one of my biggest knocks, I guess, with the the level one certification or any, any weekend certification for somebody who doesn't really have or doesn't take the time to learn kind of what's going on systemically. Um, and just is like, Hey, this is what I learned, you know? Uh, so we're doing med ball cleans today mm-hmm. without really kind of looking at it and going, okay, what are we trying to accomplish with the med ball clean? Like, is it effective? Is there, you know, now CrossFit would certainly argue that it's incredibly effective. It's one of our nine foundational movements. Like, yes, that, you know, this transfers into a, an Olympic lift 1000%. You and I could both say, you know, Jimmy, that, that's horseshit. How the hell does it transfer? It, it teaches me to pull too early, teaches me to pull too high. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it was, there was a post that I put up and I was curious. It was CrossFit put out a picture and it was like the picture of the barbell and then mm-hmm. the picture of the PVC. And it's like, before you mastered the barbell, you must first master the PVC. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I'm like, uh, I, no, <laughs> like, I don't know. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily true. Um, Anyway, I, I feel bad, guys. I feel like I'm always kind of ranting. <laughs> no. and I, can, I just We're feel like you guys are like, all looking oh, at yeah. me like, no, uh-huh. I know. Yep. this guy will not shut the fuck up. Yeah. No. No, I like I, it. I love it. I, I mean, saying- that was, I feel like that was like kind of the whole idea is bringing the podcast back so you have this outlet. Like, you are such a wealth of knowledge. Like, 
you know what I mean? Like this, just sitting here listening to you talk is like, it's not like I'm just like hanging out. Like I'm like, oh my God. Okay. (laughs) That's true. You know what I mean? Like I just, it, it needs to be. Well, I appreciate that coach. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I just, yeah. You got a lot, you got a lot in that brain of yours. You know, we want to hear it. We want to hear it. There's lots of cool shit out there, man. You, uh, you actually want to stay on this topic. You once made a comment fairly recently about all this education that you've had through your career. You're like, I want to be able to fucking use it. I want to be able to use my education. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I guess as again, I get older into this, um, you know, I, I just feel like again, CrossFit and CrossFit coaches can argue with me and I, I would happy to talk, but I feel like there is a certain loss of the ability to educate people um, and do our job as leaders in the fitness industry within a large group setting. Um, you know, that we have all experienced people that, you know, uh, really need help and you are doing them a massive disservice because you don't have the ability within your one hour class session and 22 other people in class to try and get to them. Now, I'm sure that CrossFit would argue you need to do a better job as a coach and a leader and a facilitator and, you know, doing all those types of things. But yes, to your point, coach, uh, uh, you know, grad school, undergrad, multiple certifications, continuing education that happens all the time um, outside of what I just enjoy to read on my own and study on my own. And yeah, so it'd be nice to be able to, to utilize some of that information, sure, yeah. you know, uh, certainly. Um, well, we appreciate you. Uh, well, guys, you know. I mean, now stop. <laughs> um, well, hey, so do you think you need to master the PVC pipe? Though? Well, that's, I guess that's, um, so it's interesting. So I put it out on social media. I was like, and I was like, strength coaches, Olympic weightlifting coaches, you know, yeah. uh, what do you guys think? And I did get some pretty heated responses. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly from Olympic weightlifting people. Yeah. Um, kind of like, nah. Right. <laughs> I, I, I mean, feel the same way. You know, I, I guess, look, if you are a, a newbie, yeah. you know, if you're brand new and you've never done this before, yeah, the PBC is great. Right. Um, you know, but. Should I not transition to a barbell because I haven't mastered snatching with a PVC? Right. No, that's the dumbest right. thing ever. I, I mean, agree. you know, but, you know, again, this is the same organization that when you go and I, I listen, I did my level one, I don't know, forever ago. Um, but I do know that I spent 45 minutes working on a med ball clean and 12 minutes on a snatch. Right. And that snatch was the instruction was jump. Yeah. Which again is is a very rudimentary cue for an Olympic lift. I think it can work in some instances, but I think overall it's just a blanket statement that really, unless you get your athlete to understand and appreciate why you would give that cue, right? It cannot be. It can actually be detrimental. Mm-hmm, sure. Um, you know, in terms of slowing down your pull, in terms of transitioning under the barbell, all mm-hmm. of those things. So no, I, I don't. I don't think that mastering the PVC, right. You know, and I think it, I, me personally, I think it's a scam, like from a marketing, it's just a marketing thing to get people to go, oh yeah, man, that's, that's deep, man. That's heavy. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's like, that's like the same thing. Like they'll say, well, you know, you have to master strict pull-ups before you should start to try and kip. Well, if you go into any CrossFit gym, all 12,000 affiliates in the world, I can guarantee you, guarantee, and ours included, I can guarantee you that there is a, an overwhelming majority of people that can do you know, 15 kipping pull-ups who cannot do three strict. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's like, I don't, I, I don't know. Yeah. And I, I would, I mean, I feel like the pull-up 
situation is a little different because I, I think that having that base strength. Oh, is I agree good. with you. I think with the PVC, it's more of like a movement thing. You know sure, what I mean? Yeah. And like not having the weight there to kind of counter is, it totally. makes it like Completely totally different. different. Sure. So like the pull up thing is always something I struggle with. Cause I do think you should have that strict pull I agree up, with you. Yeah. but getting people to kind of take a step back to build that strength is yeah. like, Trying to take their firstborn, it you know what I mean. Like it's just like take take a step back. It's yeah. it's gonna be okay. Yeah. If you focus on this, you'll build the strength, and then that kipping that butterfly is gonna be that much easier. Totally. And you're not gonna tear your rotator. One thousand percent. One thousand percent. Yeah. I think that that's I don't know. And it's another argument again for an individualized, a little bit more of an individualized approach to your coaching. Um, in the sense that, again, if I have a group of 20 people and I can say, Hey, don't, you should be doing strict, even if it's using a band or a foot on the floor or whatever. And you're trying to move around the room with 20 people. And that person's like, well, everybody else is doing it. I'm going to mm-hmm. do it not because I have to win this workout. Yeah. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, yeah, I, I, yeah. It, it, it drives you, but I agree with you a thousand percent. I mean, master the strict stuff. Mm-hmm. But again, it's easy to talk about it. It's good for social media. It's the right thing to say. But I, I don't. I don't think mastering a PVC, uh, unless again you're you're brand new to the sport, is, is gonna do a whole lot for you. Now I'm not an Olympic lifting coach, so <laughs> I, I'll divert to you, Jim. No, but. I mean I I think it's kind of like the jump cue. I think that there's um, some pros and some cons. Certainly with all those things, um, I think the PVC pipe, sure, like positioning and you know, okay, my grip width is this far. All right, overhead squat over without weight, but I in no world do I, from the experience of lifting thousands and thousands of reps, do I feel like if I mastered a, a PVC pipe, even versus a forty-five pound empty barbell, like right. I'm not going to get that feedback of changing direction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just that that you know pressure through the floor, that bounce in my foot, all the, those things. It's just even a little bit of feedback from a barbell. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. how many people have been in a class where you're teaching the front rack with a PVC pipe and nobody can get in the right position? Right. right. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, it's like learning position work and then reps. Like if I'm doing a thousand reps or 10,000 reps to quote unquote master a PVC pipe, am I going to be more a master than if I did 10,000 reps with an empty barbell? Empty barbell like yeah. I think it would be massively different. Certainly. You know what I mean? So I don't, I don't agree with the PVC pipe. Per se. Yeah. Well, and I think intent matters too. Yeah. You know, I mean, when you look at the Olympic lifts for developing, you know, an athlete versus mm-hmm. an Olympic lifter, I think the technique's different. Absolutely. Right. Um, I, I had a, a great experience as a young strength coach. Uh, I was very blessed to do an internship at the Inter- International Performance Institute, which is part of IMG Academies or was the new IMG Academies down there. It was at the Bulletary Tennis Academy, if you guys know anything about Nick Bulletary. Um, but, um, so anyway, I, I was, we were, I was part of a group of young strength coaches that were interning to help get guys ready for the NFL combine. And so we were doing some Olympic work and I was very fortunate. My, um, the guy I was working under was the former Canadian, uh, national team weightlifting coach. Nice. Um, so then that's when I, for, you know, not, not when I first started falling in love with the weightlifting, but it was definitely, you know, it set me on that path. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we were working. There was two football players that were going to be high draft picks uh, from Florida State. 
And the kind of guys that looked like they had never touched a weight in their life, but just super athletes, like just freak guys. And anyway, so, um, you know, I came from the school where it was, you have to finish a lift, you rack it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so none of these guys were not racking anything. Like they would pull their shoulders, elbows fast, and then pull right down. Like yeah. they would not rack it at right. all. Yeah. So, you know, me being the youngster, like, bro, that doesn't count. You know, that's not a real <laughs> lift, you right. know? Yeah. And so this guy grabbed me and he's like, well, dude, let's, let's talk about again, intent. Like we're going back to why are we doing this? Yeah. I don't give a shit if he can clean 300 pounds and catch the front rack position. I could care less. How explosive is he getting there? Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Like what's going on in his ankle, knee and hip joint. That's right. all I care about. Right? right. Cause that's what transfers on to the field. Right. Um, you know, so it, it, I think intent is always, always important. Sure. But it's like, mm -hmm. you know, and I know you and I have talked about this when you look at like the Chinese lifter and the oh, idea yeah. of extension at the ankle joint. Oh yeah. For the way that most of us teach our Olympic lifts in a CrossFit gym is you get all the way up on your toes, mm -hmm. all the way up on your toes. Well, I mean, again, if you study the biomechanics of it and you look at the timing of it, does that slow you down in terms of transitioning onto the barbell? What's the goal? Mm -hmm. The goal is to get underneath the bar. It's not right. to pull the bar up to your chin. Right. One of my favorite things when I was a young CrossFit coach and I was coming from the world of competitive weightlifting, Olympic <laughs> weightlifting, is you would go to a weightlifting meet or even a CrossFit comp and people would be in the back, you know, warm up room, warming mm -hmm. up. And you could always tell the CrossFitters, always, mm -hmm. right? Because they were doing the Michael Jackson. They're all the way up on their tippy toes and they were pulling the bar to their forehead, mm -hmm. you know, with their warm up stuff. And yep. the bar was six feet away from their body. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Right. right. And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then you the Olympic weightlifters, you know, the bar is super tight to their body. Everything's quick. Yeah. Um, bars only come into like maybe chest height with their warm up work. You know, it's oh, just yeah. like, uh, you know what I mean? Totally so again, different. intent matters what we're trying to do. But again, does a med ball clean transfer into that? I mean, maybe it does. Talking about uh, intent, that's like shot putters. It, sure. If you go into that world, and you're doing Olympic weightlifting, everything is powers. Sure. And nobody's catching. I mean, you'll have the people who love Olympic weightlifting who end up catching in the front rack. But I was always yeah. told, hey, like, don't catch it in that front rack. We Doesn't don't want to risk. Yeah. You're breaking your wrist. Your wrist's sure. already wrecked from throwing the shot. Sure. So all we care about is your explosion of can you get it up there? Sure. And just like stupid amounts of weight squats. Like, like um, there's a thrower. Um, who threw for Alabama, who I used to throw against Daniel Haw. He's like um, American champ, incredible in the weight, uh, weight throw and hammer throw. You watch him squat, that dude never gets below 90. It's all above 90, overloading mm -hmm. the weight, because in the throw, when are you getting below 90? Yeah. And now, like, there comes the argument of, like, well, you want to train the whole body, and definitely there's a time and place for getting all the way underneath, but as a hammer thrower, shot putter, your butt is never going that low. So <laughs> yeah. When we get in season with volleyball and basketball players, yep. everything's quarter squats. Totally. Everything's quarter squats and usually off a of pin, mm -hmm. right? We, we, we try and minimize the eccentric load. Totally. A lot um, of pin, a lot of high box. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Because again, what's, but you know, uh, it comes down to that set principle, right? Specific adaptations to impose demands. I mean, basketball players rarely, volleyball players never squat. I mean, if I had back row athletes or defensive specialists who have to get low to move things, then maybe I'd have them full range back squat. Mm -hmm. But all my middle hitters and outside hitters, it, it's, you're, yeah. you're, you're actually doing them a disservice because now you're slowing them totally. down. Yeah. It's like, you know, back in the day, there's still people that do it like sprinting in sand. And they think mm -hmm. they're working on speed. It's the worst. I was thinking about this yesterday. You yeah. You're training pulling, yourself pulling to be heavy slower. sleds for speed development. Literally, you're doing the exact opposite. 100%. You're slowing them down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, 
because ground contact time increases significantly, mm-hmm. and that's the opposite of what you're trying to accomplish. So yeah, intent intent really matters. Certainly, yeah. I think I... there's a time and a place for everything. Absolutely, it's like so. Like a few years back before semifinals when I could not snatch to save my life Mm -hmm. and we were all kind of panicking a little bit, but like you had me do like hundreds of drills with the PVC, Mm -hmm. like every day, PVC, 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 because I think like I already knew what I was supposed to be doing. It's just like, I couldn't make it happen. And then I did all those drills. I didn't I didn't snatch like more than probably 125 before we left. And then out there it was like, I got this. What yeah. do you do? You what know you what I mean? Up? So like it, I feel like there's there's a time and a place for everything and it's very athlete dependent and it's very you know what I mean? The PVC thing, it's just like I feel like you have to feel the barbell weight. I right. agree. Yeah. And then if you know what you're supposed to be doing, the PVC makes more sense. Well, Does that make sense? Uh, I don't 1, know. Makes, it 1,000% yeah. makes it. Would you, you hit 180 that day? Was yeah. It? Yeah. So, but, you know, with, <laughs> you, my Lord. with you, and again, that's an understanding of um, biomechanics and understanding of nervous system adaptation. And, you know, you just, we just had to tweak your pattern a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so the only way, it's an, it's an old adage in, in um, biomechanics. Uh, it, it, you know, it takes 3000 or excuse me, 300 to 500 hours to, to learn a movement pattern. It takes 3000 to 5,000 hours to correct a poor movement pattern. Mm-hmm. So it was like with you, we caught you like right at the nick of time mm-hmm. where we really hadn't ingrained that bad pattern. And so it was just a matter of finding the, the good Fixing pattern, it, the right yeah. pattern, mm-hmm. but that's based off of biomechanics. That's based off of physics, right? Those two things right there will make you a better lifting coach yeah. because if I can manipulate mechanical positions, Right. If I can manipulate body positions to increase the, the the mechanical demand or decrease the mechanical demand based off the laws of physics, when I'm looking at moment arms and lever arms, um, you know, axis of rotation, fulcrums, like under having a basic understanding of that will make you a better lifting coach. Because again, it is very obviously, you know, your body dimensions are much different than his. Mm-hmm. So if I get if I have an understanding of what happens when I put your femurs in the right position, your shoulders in the right position. It's going to have a significant impact on how you can exert force at the right time on that and velocity at the right time on that barbell. Um, yeah. So in that situation, mm-hmm. it was just like, Hey, let's find the right position where we have that mechanical advantage and then let's continually reinforce that, you know, reprogram mm-hmm. that in, into your, into your uh, nervous system. So mm-hmm. sorry again. <laughs> no, I like it. Uh, yeah, no, it's great. So strength coaches, passionate about what you do be sincere <laughs> understand physics understand biomechanics he is not faking it uh, yeah <laughs> can't confirm oh, oh man that's so, good you get, you get to go coach class yeah pretty soon here yeah they i see people burn. rolling in yeah. people rolling in i don't know anything else guys i mean for not having a topic i think I we know, did pretty that was good great yeah. that was a nice little sunday morning thank you i enjoyed it I enjoyed it Awesome. You got nothing. All right. All sweet. Right, you sweet. Thanks, Thank you. Later. You got coffee bar carpet? Mm-hmm. From the casino. From the casino. Yeah. There's a yeah. lot of things going on here. Is that true? Yeah. <laughs> Guys, do you not know me?